September 22nd, 2022. We're continuing in our Limud, the Masechet Berachot. We're on the He Amud Bet, and we're in the very last of the narrow lines, um, the most narrow lines, the very last line, three words on where it says Rav Huna. Uh, immediately before discussing this, though, I think we should have a quick recap and understanding of or an ability to accept that we don't fully understand that concept known as Yisurin Shel Ahava, which Rabbi Yohanan introduced us to. And most important with regards to remembering the back and forth in the Gemara, so to speak, with regards to this, was the fact that there were, number one, several opinions with regards to when and how we would apply this concept of Yisurin Shel Ahava. Number two, the very definition of Yisurin Shel Ahava. Rashi initially told us Yisurin Shel Ahava falls upon a person, this sufferings of love in circumstances where they're not deserving at all of it. It's just a way of propelling them to sachar, uh, to olam haba. Later on in the sugya that we learned this past, uh, the past time we learned together, uh, Rashi suggested that somehow through the mourning for children, which Rabbi Yohanan had, the avelut brought forth a kapara, an atonement of sorts, mm-hmm which was a little bit hard for us to wrap our head around because the word kapara means you have something that you need an atonement for as opposed to it just being a reality to achieve more sachar. That all notwithstanding, we saw in the Gemara several stories that closed out this issue with regards to the rabbis being questioned. Uh, are you interested in this Yisurin? Havivina alecha Yisurin? And the response time and again was, Lo, not the Yisurin and not the Sachar. Lohen velo Sacharam. Which leaves us with somewhat of an ambivalent feeling, uncertain. On the one hand, we extolled it, we spoke about its greatness. On the other hand, all of the rabbis whom we look up to and we uh, search for guidance in their words were ostensibly not interested in this. Harambam, somewhat famously in his Morei Nebuchim, to the best of my knowledge, basically addresses this issue in Helek Imal of his more in two chapters, at two separate junctures, in Perik Yodzain, and then he kind of extends the conversation in Perik Kafdalet. I'm just going to read briefly in Perik Yodzain, and then a little bit from Perik Kafdalet. In Perik Yodzain, it says, Ken tosefet Torah. He says there's an addition to the understanding of God's governance and encounters with human beings that isn't found in the Torah Shebikhtav. And that is that a portion of them, meaning of the rabbis, suggested Yisurin Shel Ahava. So he's referring to our sugya, to our Gemara. According to this notion, a person is punished for sins that they didn't commit. Says Harambam, this is the way of certain sects of thought outside of Judaism, but there's no reference, there's no, rem, no, no, uh, no mention of even such a concept in the words of our Torah. He seems very clear to be opposed to such an approach. In truth, in Perek Kaftalid, Harambam quotes a Gemara in Masechet Shabbat and Dafnun He, where the Gemara has the following statement, and he embraces this approach. En death will not come about without sin, and most importantly, ve'en yisurin belo avon. And there won't be suffering, there won't be torture, there won't be the difficulties of life without avon 
which means to say he effectively pits these two statements of the rabbis against one another. On the one hand, Yisurin Shel Ahava, what we've been discussing here, Masech Berachot and Dafhe. On the other hand, En Yisurin Belo Avon, that Gemara Masech Shabbat, he understands it as conflicting opinions, and in turn, his approach to the matter is that Yisurin Shel Ahava is not a mainstream Jewish thought. It was an opinion, but not, so to speak, the accepted opinion with regards to how we envision God's interaction with human beings. Are there anyone today who would say that that still thing? That it still exists? Again, there are, there are, there is any th- mainstream rabbis or who would embrace this statement today. of Yisurin Shel Ahava? Certainly. Again, even though Harambam said that, Harambam is not is, is somewhat of a lone voice in his straightforwardness about this. Uh, there's discussion, there's debate amongst many of the Rishonim about this concept. What most, if not all, would say is, well, let's really be realistic. How many people live without sin that you can actually say this is Yisurin Shalahava? But at the same time, what many, not Harambam, would at the same time say is, well, look at the positive side of this pain and understand it as God's approach to you as opposed to his punishment to you. That's already a Yisurin Shalahava type of vision, which Harambam would be very uncomfortable with, but many, I might say the majority, would be more comfortable with. All right, the Gemara over here, again, on the last narrow line, the third word, uh, continues by telling stories with regards to difficulties that befell individuals. Over here, we're going to look to pinpoint what was done wrong. It's not going to be a Yisurin Shel Ahava continuity. Rav Huna, of course, one of the famous Emoraim, Takifu Le Arba Mea Dine De Hamra. Uh, 400 of his um, uh, jugs, I guess, or vessels of hamrav, wine, takifu, they got vinegary, they, uh, they went bad. Uh, entered to him, maybe he was in a state of depression, maybe just they were visiting him, whatever the circumstances, this rabbi and others visited him. Ve'amrela, and there's a different version about which rabbi and others visited. Ravadabar ahavav rabbanan. Okay. Now, as they enter into the home of Ravuna, either two specifically discuss this issue, or just happen to be there at the time that the discovery or the occurrence of this 400 uh, ruined v- vessels of wine had taken place. Ve'amrule le'ayen mor bemile. They say to him, perhaps our master should look into his matters, le'ayin, like iyun. In other words, they're... they're, they're um, Blaming him. Well, they're looking to him and telling him you should blame yourself. It's what we saw in the Gemara earlier. The Gemara said, before you determine that it's Yisurin Shel Ahava, yifashbesh b'ma'asav. Now, it is clear that they do know something about him, so their blame is not heke, and it's not even audacious to say, hey, Rabbi, look into it, because they're aware of something that's being said about Ravuna. Amar lehu, he responds to them. Umi hashidna Am I suspicious in your eyes? Wait, are you telling me that you think I did something wrong? Amru le mi hashid dina belo dina. All right, uh, we, we might be suspecting you, but are you suspecting HaKadosh Baruch Hu? Because it emerges, according to your claim, that God is doing something to you. Avid dina belo dina. He's judging you without the actual context of judgment. Tosafot points out, this is a little bit difficult to accept, writes Tosafot, says Tosafot, are you really, is that really a claim? Uh, do we not know? Sadiq Veratno? 
That's Tosafot's question on this Gemara. Suggests Tosafot the reason they say this, and it's tongue-in-cheek, not to say that we'll be able to determine every time something happens that God actually has a judgment against you, but says Tosafot they're really just getting into the conversation to expose what they heard about Ravuna. So this is a way of engaging in that conversation to get to the crux of the matter of what they know is going wrong. Says the Gemara, Amar Lehu, says Ravuna in response to them, understanding something's a bit awry. They are accusing, perhaps with some knowledge uh, of him, uh, something that he's done wrong. If there is, man, me, someone, who heard, about me, something, in other words, if you heard something negative about me, get up and say it, please tell me what I'm doing wrong, speak up. They respond, it sounds like all together, this is what we heard. De la Yahiv Mor Shabisha La Arise. Arise and Aris, well, we today say Aris for someone who's engaged, but Aris is a sharecropper in the uh, in the commercial world of the Gemara. So it's a person who's working in your fields and gaining based on produce or based on a, sh- on a, a fixed amount with regards to their labor. We heard that your sharecropper has not been given Shabisha. Rashi explains, Shabisha is Chilko Bizmorot Hagefin. He has been given his share in the uh, vines, the, uh, the, the uh, branches of Gefin, of uh, grapes. You've given him, perhaps based on the deal, the appropriate amount of grapes, but you haven't given him the vines that he uh, deserves. Quotes Rashi from the Mishnah Masechet Bava Metziah, Keshem Shecholkin Beyayin, the same way you divide with a sharecropper amidst the wine which is produced, Kach Cholkim Bizmorot Ubakanim, so do you have to do so with the vines and with the branches that are brought forth. Sharigim, Metargiminan, Shabishin, okay, Sarigim, excuse me, the Pasuk in Bereshit, Metargiminan, the Targum is Shabishin. Okay, so effectively they accuse Ravuna, based on what they heard, of not paying his dues appropriately. You've been withholding the amount that you. Amar lehu, Mikashavik li midi mine, Hakaganiv li kule. He says, Do you think he even leaves me anything? says Rashi. Is he not suspicious in your eyes? He's been taking my sharecropper a lot more than I'm than he's deserving of. So, so it might be he's admitting that he's not giving the amount. He's like okay, but he's saying the reason I'm not giving is because he's stealing so much. Now, he hasn't stolen everything, because otherwise you wouldn't be telling me that I need to give him something, but he's been overtaking in the first place. That's why I'm not giving. Amrule, they say, I mean, does that really, do two wrongs make a right? This is similar to what the people say. If you steal after the robber, if you are a thief to the thief, you end up tasting that thievery. In other words, you got accustomed or you got affected by his thievery of you. He stole from you. And now in some way you believed that you could steal back from him. Two wrongs don't make a right. You need to set him in his place, but you can't be taken from him. In truth, many of the poskei halacha amongst the Rishonim and others question this Gemara. There is a halacha in Masechet Bava Kama and Kafzain. Avid inish, avid inish dinale A person is allowed to and is, is, is permitted to take the law into their own hand in a circumstance where, for example, someone stole something from them. 
Why isn't that applicable over here? But there are several answers to that. First and foremost, you're supposed to get the recognition from Betin with regards to the proper direction, what you could do. But secondly, perhaps more foundational, more importantly, uh, fundamentally, the, the, the idea of you stole from me my book. I stole my book back from you. It's not that I stole the value of the book from you. I owe you this money. I have to give you this money. We can settle the other issue separately. Says the Gemara, Amar Lehu responds Rav Huna to the rabbis who are somewhat rebuking him. Kabilna alai, I accept upon myself the Yahivna le that I will give to him. In other words, I accept. I was wrong, and now I will pay him the uh, vines that are um, that are that he deserves. Ikade amre. Now there are two versions about what took place, what transpired as a result of this acceptance of Rafuna of wrongdoing. Of course, this gemara is very appropriate for this time period of the year, right? And so this time period is time period in which we think about what we've done wrong, even when it's a gray area and zone. But if we're able to truly be honest with ourselves and accept to do better, says the gemara. Ikade amre. Two versions. Hadar halavahava hamra. Miraculously. The vinegar uh, turns back into hamra, into wine. Alternatively, ve'ikada amre, a little bit more in this world type of occurrence, not miraculous. Ayaker hala ve'izdaben bidame de hamra. His reward is that although he has vinegar, the price of vinegar goes up and it gets sold for the price of wine, meaning he doesn't take a loss on this circumstance. Why is he being rewarded for not paying? No, ultimately speaking, he accepts to pay. Oh, and then once he accepts the pay. Then he gets rewarded. And again, his reward is not greater than what he would have had beforehand. It's now that I've fixed my way, and that's what I meant by the Tishuba type of comment. How did this flow from what we were speaking about before to this story? Where was the connection? It, or the only the connection to the best... The, no, the only connection to the best of my knowledge is a difficult time... The Gemara told us initially, before the whole Yisurin Shal Ahava, the first thing you're supposed to do is Yifashbesh Ma'asaf. You look into your matters. Then the Gemara said, oh, by the way, when you don't find anything, let me tell you all about Yisurin Shal Ahava. Now back to the initial issue. That's not my understanding of it. Here's Pishpush Ma'asaf, And sometimes it'll be best if other people help you do so. All right, says the Gemara just a bit onward, one or two lines, and we'll uh, pause over here for today. Tanya Aberaita, Abab bin Yamin Omer. Abab bin Yamin, one of the uh, Tanaim apparently, exclaimed, he remarked, Al devarim hayiti mitzta'er kol yamai. There were two matters uh, over which I became sorrowful my whole life. In other words, I was burdened by these. I was very careful to fulfill, fulfill these appropriately. Not, obvi- not obviously per se, but somewhat obviously. We're dealing with one of the Tanaim. We're not going to be talking about simple mitzvot. We're going to assume he did the mitzvot. What did he go above and beyond with regards to his appreciation of the smaller things that we do or should be doing with regards to just mundane practice that he gave or is giving us a certain significance to, number one, that my prayer should be in front of my bed. Of course, the Gemara is going to question what that means. Uh, Prayer in front of your bed, first and foremost, which prayer? Secondly, what does it mean in front of your bed? That was something significant. And secondly, and secondly, that my bed be situated between north and south instead of east and west. What's the issue on that second one? Uh, the first one, we have hard enough time understanding what the 
re- what it means. The second one, we know what it means, but we don't know the reasoning. Says Rashi, take a look quickly. Safon le darom, explains Rashi, Rosha umargelotea, zele safon vezele darom. Says Rashi, the head and the bottom of the bed is in the north and the south. Does that mean that the head is in the north and the bottom is in the south? Maybe there are two ways of reading Rashi, either he's particular and specific, or alternatively, it just means that it's not in between west and east. Why not in between east and, uh, it can't east be and west? west and east because the Gemara didn't say that. So it has to be the first interpretation of Rashi. Again, Rashi is trying to define. What the Gemara says for us is, I understand what you're saying, give me a second to, 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 uh, to digest it. But again, the statement the Gemara is, you might have. You might be utterly confused about that. What does it mean that my bed is in between the north and the south? It might be that Rashi is just defining it's how I situate my bed as opposed to, I don't know, it's on a segue and a highway between north and south or something along those lines. Rashi is not specific enough to say it. He says, Rosha umar And then he says, Zele safon darom. But you're right. The simple interpret, the, the, the more specific interpretation, instead of generalizing Rashi, is that the head is in the north and the bottom, the foot part, is in the south. And Rashi continues and says, It appears in my, to, to me in my eyes. He's basing himself on Divrei Hachamim elsewhere, but he says, Apparently, we're supposed to envision the indwelling of Hakadosh Baruch. Hu. Of course, it's everywhere, but we're supposed to envision it as being most manifested, perhaps in the east and west, or between the east and the west. Lefichach, therefore, nachon lehasev, therefore it's best to face, derech tashmish, in the context of relations, leruchot acherot, in different directions. So Rashi introduced another factor, which we didn't have in our Gemara, that the bed-situated direction is not so much for your sleep, it's more for tashmish. It's more that it's inappropriate if you're facing kivyachol, the Shekhinah, as you're involved in tashmish. The simple reading of the Gemara was not that way. Of course, the Gemara, as I said earlier, um, goes on to explain each of these comments. Let's begin with that for just a moment. Says the Gemara, Says the Gemara, let's go back and analyze that. So that first statement was that Abba Binyamin said, um, one of the things that I was nitzta'arti alea kol yamai, is that my prayer should be in front of my bed. Says the Gemara, my lifne mitati. What does it mean that it's in front of your bed? Perhaps he meant in front of his actual bed. That you may not have something separating between yourself and a wall. Pasuk says that Hizkiyahu turns his way, turns his, his body and, 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 and face to the wall and then prays to God. So it can't be that your bed is in between. Of course, we'll need to address halakha l'ma'aseh on this. Does that mean that every time I pray, I must be in the front of the synagogue? Certainly easy for me when I'm sitting in the front. But what about everyone else in the congregation? Lo says the Gemara, we'll, we'll return to that in due time. But says the Gemara, no. It can't be that it's a reference to his prayer specifically, physically in front of his bed, because that would be a problem. Lo mitati ela ema samuch lemitati. We should instead suggest that the reference is that it's samuch limitati, close to my bed. What does it mean? Close to my bed. Explains Rashi a bit earlier that Rashi samuch limitati kol yamai nisharti shelo laasot melacha 
ושלא לעסוק בתורה כשעמדתי במיטתי, עד שאקרא קריאת שמע ואתפלל. אקספליינס ראשי, סמוך למיטתי means temporally, means in terms of time, close to awakening it appears, Rashi seems to be talking about Shahrit, although he might be talking about Arbit, but it sounds like Shahrit, close to waking up, I made certain not to do any work, or even, says Rashi, study Torah before praying. Even study Torah. Tosafot questions that. Says Tosafot, well, where'd you come up with that? Lo yadati minale. Rashi, why are you talking about Torah? Aval re'aya, I have a proof, says Tosafot. Deshare, that it's permitted lil mod kodem, del kaman percheni amrinan, derav makdin umashe yade, umvarech umatne perke, vekare kriyat shma, ki mataziman kriyat shma. Tosafot explicitly cites a gemara, and daf yodalid, where Rav would wake up, wash his hands, and then study Torah, while his tefillin were then being put on or put on beforehand, uh, prior to prayer. Uh, well, wait a second. I thought, Rashi, it's most appropriate not to do so. Are you suggesting that Rav was doing wrong? Is it a mahloket? Or alternatively, is the Gemara specifically in the context of melacha? An issue we'll have to address as well. What do we define as melacha? Does that mean actually walking into the business room? Does it mean answering emails? Does it mean taking a shower? What does it mean, samuch lemitati? To what extent are we referring to not doing anything? We'll have to return to that as well. And we'll keep in mind that additionally, that he's very proud of himself. To what extent is this a halacha? Lastly, says the Gemara Valmitati, Shetehenetuna ben Safon ledarom. We'll need plenty of explanation with regards to this, but let's begin the conversation on it just with the words of the Gemara. De Amar Bihama, Bere Bihanina, Amar Bitzhakola, Noten Mitato ben Safon ledarom. Havyan le banim zecharim. If you're seeking and searching, well, alternatively, if you have born sons, banim zecharim, perhaps it's because you were merited, you merited such because your bed was in between north and south. Shene emar, and it's a derasha from Pasuk. The Pasuk says, Usifunecha, which we're reading as Safon, north, even though Sifunecha, like we do at the Seder, Safun means something that's hidden. Temale bitnam yisbe'u. Banim. So the Pasuk talks about being satiated with children has Usifunicha. Rav Nachman Baitakamar Af en Ishtoma Pelet Nefalim. The additional or uh, other suggestion is that the bed in between north and south is with regards to birth of children. Um, not sons per se, but that your wife won't be mapelet, she won't have miscarriages. Before we read the proof for this, let me remind you Rashi's interpretation, which we questioned to the Gemara. The bed being situated in that place, said Rashi, is specifically for tashmish. Well, it does stand to reason based on these two statements that we're referring to the relations, because after all, we're referring in turn to the birth of children. Where, where do we know some sort of remes that your wife won't have um, miscarriages as a result of this? And it's very clear, and I know it goes without being stated, but it should be stated, these are not foolproof uh, advices. These are more uh, exclamations and ideas from the hachamim, not scientific uh, methods. Says the Gemara Ketiv Hacha, on the one hand, the Pasuk says that we just read, when we were reading Usfun Safon, Safon, the Pasuk says in that context, um, that temale uh, bitnam, the pasuk says their bellies should be filled, uchtiv hatam, and it says uh, elsewhere in the context of uh, Rivka, the birth of Yaakov, and in each of these two pesukim, it's there's a milui, there's something that's being filled, and there's the betin, it's the belly, of course, that's being filled. By linking these two pesukim up to one another, same way Rivka did not miscarry, 
so too, there's not a promise per se, but there's a perspective of not having miscarriage if your relations were done in the appropriate fashion with the bed situated appropriately. What we leave yet to be determined is several things. Number one, we wanted to return to the idea of not having davar chotzeh, ben hakir. First and foremost, what's the idea? Why should there be nothing in between? And secondly, uh, how does that uh, carry out in terms of practical ramifications and circumstances? Second issue we wanted to deal with. We wanted to deal with uh, the halakha um, about, uh, we wanted to deal with the halakha of the not doing melakha, not studying Torah before tefillah. Under what circumstances and what situations? Why is that most appropriate? And lastly, we wanted to return to this idea that's being uh, built up in the eyes of the hachamim. They're glorifying the situation of the bed. Not per se how to do that, but better yet, why is that in their eyes appropriate? So Rashi began us with regards to the Shekhinah dwelling there. Is there anything more? We'll return to each of these issues in Mirzei Hashem the next time. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen, amen.